What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Blasphemer! Yeah, you're a blasphemer! And I can imagine the guy nudges the guy next to him. Hey, we need to call that guy a blasphemer. All right, all right. Blasphemer! Blasphemer! Yeah, uh, what's a blasphemer? You don't know what a blasphemer is? No, I have no clue what a blasphemer is. Well, a blasphemer is... uh, Yeah, I have no clue what a blasphemer is either. And I can imagine the guy nudges the guy next to him. Hey, hey, is your name Saul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a blasphemer again? I can imagine Saul rolls his eyes and says, A blasphemer is somebody who says things that are anti our religion to the point where it's like horrible. I mean, not even that they dis- disagree with us. They say horrible things. In fact, Saul then goes on to say, That guy up front there that you're yelling blasphemer at, you know what he said? He's called our temple, the Jewish temple, useless. He said our Torah, our Bible, The Hebrew Bible isn't worth much. He even called Moses not a prophet. And I can imagine this man that is anti-Jewish religion to the point where that really does offend me. That's horrible. He is a blasphemer. Blasphemer. And he nudges the guy. Yeah, yell blasphemer. 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 And I can imagine 150, 200. I mean, I don't know how big the mob is, but it is big. Of these men just yelling hateful things at the man up front. And the man stirring up the mob. Getting him to yell stuff. Lying. He's not telling the truth. Because that guy up front never said anything bad about Moses. He never said anything bad about the Torah or the temple. But this man saw... He's starting to spread lies because he hates that man up front and he wants to see him destroyed. Can you imagine being one person? And imagine behind you are 200 men just ready to rip you limb from limb and just kill you for the horrible things they think you've said about their religion. You're surrounded by that sort of anger and animosity and hatred but then in front of you on a platform raised up above you are 70 men in royal looking official robes they're called the Sanhedrin and right now in the temple court there in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and there before them is this man who everybody hates. And this man is before them because these court officials, these judges, the 70 men, basically ruled all of Jerusalem. And they ruled the Jewish religion at the time and what they said was law. And so people brought this one man before them to prove or disprove whether he was telling the truth, whether this person was a blasphemer. Can you imagine 
Everybody behind you and around you is yelling at you. And then in front of you are 70 men who dislike you just as much. And they could decide whether you live or die. Can you imagine that? How would you feel? Would you break under the pressure? I mean, that, that'd be scary stuff. But you know what? That man up front, all by himself, he's standing up for Jesus. And he's not scared at all. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, it says that the men around him, when they looked at him, his face looked like the face of an angel. That calm, that peaceful, that full of the Holy Spirit. You know what the name of that man was standing up front? All by himself? His name is Stephen. And the man riling up the crowd trying to get everybody to hate Stephen? His name is Saul. In this series, we're going to learn about a man named Saul. And we're going to learn also a little bit about a man named Stephen. But in both these men's life and in this series, if, if you think you have done too much bad stuff to ever serve the Lord, or if you think your life isn't worth much, you know, you're not smart enough, not good enough to ever be used by the Lord. I want to say, have I got a wonderful story for you? Well, if you turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we meet the disciples 30 to 40 days after the resurrection. See, Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And then three days later, he rose again, defeated sin and death. And then for the next 30 to 40 days, he spent time appearing to various disciples, appearing to various men, women, children, proving that, hey, I am alive. And then in Acts chapter 1, they're all out there in Galilee. And he's got his disciples around him. He's got the inner 12. And then he's got probably maybe 120 total all surrounding him, and he's giving him his last charge and commands, and he says, hey, I want you to make disciples. I want you to go tell other people about Jesus, and I want you to go into Jerusalem, the city we're in right now. Tell others about me. Then I want you to go into Judea and tell others about me. Then I want you to go into Samaria, tell others about me. Then I want you to go into the uttermost parts of the earth and tell everybody about me and make disciples. We've got to take back this world from the grip of Satan. Now, it'd be sort of like if you were living in Kansas City, let's say. You know, Kansas City is in the state of Missouri. So he, first of all, says, hey, I want you to tell everybody about me in the city of Kansas City. Make as many disciples as you can in Kansas City. Then, I want you to tell everybody about me in the state of Missouri. Tell everybody about who I am, make disciples. Then I want you to tell everybody about me in the whole country of America. And then once you've done that and made disciples as best you can in the whole country of America, I want you to go into the uttermost parts of the earth and tell everybody about me. That's what I want you to do. But how are they going to do that? There might have only been like 
100, 120 at the max of these followers of Jesus. How are they going to tell others? They just don't have the, the strength to spread the gospel that way. Well, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be leaving you, but I am leaving you a comforter, a helper. And he's going to come and I need you to go down to Jerusalem and wait for him to come. And as he's talking and explaining, all of a sudden Jesus is lifted up. It says he's lifted up in a cloud there. In Acts chapter 1, he's lifted up into a cloud. Can you imagine he's going up in front of you, higher and higher? And all the disciples are watching him ascend higher and higher. Man, I'd stand there watching him until I barely see the cloud in the sky. In fact, so many people were busy looking up. Is he there? Where is he? Do you still see him? Yes, he's right there. He's going to be with his father. This is called the ascension. He's going to be with his father in heaven. In fact, they're so busy looking up, watching Jesus ascend, that they don't notice two men in white, glowing angels stood there. And I can imagine they're tapping him on the shoulder and they look, oh, it's angels. And the angels say to them, why are you staring into heaven watching Jesus go up? Don't you understand that the same way he went to join his father, someday in that same manner, he is going to return. And they're like, yes. And I can imagine them high-fiving and then the angels disappear and they're like, all right, let's go into Jerusalem. We got to start telling people about Jesus. We got to wait for the this comforter. We know it today is the Holy Spirit. We got to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. All right, we can do this. And so they go. They start telling people about Jesus. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and the resurrection occurred, that was the Passover. Okay. Now, the Passover is a Jewish festival where they celebrate the angel of death passing over the Jewish people who had covered their doors with, with, with the blood of the lamb and, they, and the angel of death passed over and only killed those who did not put the blood on their, on their doorposts. And it's a celebration basically of, the, of how God protected his people, all right? Well, 50 days later is a celebration called Pentecost. And Pentecost literally means 50, and it's 50 days after. It's 50 days after the Passover. And traditionally, this is a time of harvest where people bring grain offerings into Jerusalem to celebrate what the Lord has done with the harvest and how he's provided for them in the past and how he's going to provide for them in the future. So on the day of Pentecost, a lot of Jewish believers are showing up to celebrate Yahweh to celebrate all that he's done. And they're coming from all over the world to celebrate this feast called Pentecost, which means 50. Well, on that day of Pentecost, Jerusalem is packed full of all these worshipers coming in to celebrate Pentecost. But it says there in Acts chapter 2 that on that day, 120 disciples are in an upper room and they're celebrating Jesus and they're probably worshiping like you would in an average Sunday morning. 
when all of a sudden it says the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit comes down and it comes down upon all those 120 believers and they start to speak in other languages, praising God. And in this room, the noise of the Holy Spirit coming down, it wasn't just like a there's the Holy Spirit. It would have been a noise like a like a jet engine brush or a tornado. I mean, this was a sound that was loud enough that everybody in Jerusalem was like, what is this? And they went over to find the sound of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the 120 believers at that time. And the Holy Spirit filled them with power and strength. Hundreds of Jews showed up to, what is this noise? What's happening? And it says that they saw these men and women speaking in a language that was not their own. And so you basically see a, you know, a Jewish man speaking in Italian, praising God. And then you, 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 you see a Jewish woman speaking in French, praising God. And somebody else speaking in Egyptian, praising Yahweh, praising Jesus. And people are like, whoa, they're praising Jesus in my language. Wait, wait, I hear somebody else speaking, speaking Italian over there. I, I, I hear somebody else speaking English. I, wait, wait, they're, they're all pra- and they're all hearing God being praised in their own language. And then it says they see little tongues of fire resting above their heads. And some people are like, what is happening here? This is insane. And some people are like, ah. These people are drunk. That's what's happening. These people are, they're they're not even in their right minds. And then Peter, the leader of the disciples, he steps forward and he begins to preach a sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And he says, these people aren't drunk like you think. Number one, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. Who gets drunk this early? No, this is not people who are drunk. This is the Holy Spirit come down. This is proof that Jesus is God Almighty and he delivers this awesome sermon. And at the end, he says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you want Jesus in your life? Do you want to follow him? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that day, it says in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved. Now, they started with 120. Now, 3,000 are saved. That's 3,120, right? Well, later, some of the disciples are preaching again, and 5,000 people are saved. So they just started with 120 in an upper room, and now they have 8,000 followers of Jesus right there in Jerusalem. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit is spreading out, and probably during one of those 3,000 or 5,000 people getting saved, one of the people getting saved was Stephen. Well, They're starting to see Jerusalem get saved, and they're starting to see the people changed. Well, the ruling Jewish authorities, these Sanhedrin, they did not like this at all. And they're worried about losing some of their religious power and political power. See, the Sanhedrin, there's 70 of them, right? Half of them, 35 of them, are of the Jewish sect called the Sadducees. 
They're very political, and they're not really theologically minded. But the other half are the Pharisees, and they're very theologically minded. In fact, to the point of legalism, and and they want to protect what they have. And so when they start to see people following this Jesus and, and, and leaving the Jewish faith, they're like, hey, we have got to do something about this. In fact, they're in Acts. They start to call these people who are following this Jesus, they call them the followers of the way. Now, why do you think they called them the followers of the way? Well, remember, Jesus said, right? If you follow me, if you want to be saved, if if you want to go to heaven, he says there's no other way for eternal life except through loyalty, believing loyalty in me. You've got to follow me. Then he says these famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And these words of Jesus were starting to play out, and the Christians would often say, hey, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And the people are like, hey, they're followers of the way. They're followers of this Jesus who says, I am the only way to the Father. Well, as they began to change Jerusalem and the people around them, the Sanhedrin wasn't happy. And so they brought in their crack troops. They brought in their most theologically brilliant men. And it says they brought them from all over the place, right? From Jerusalem, but from also some Greek areas. They brought them in. And one of the people they brought in to debate these Christians in the marketplace was this man named Saul. And he came down to debate these followers of the way and using the Old Testament to try to stop these people converting to the way. Well, all this is going on. The church begins to grow. They're not the church yet. But these followers of the way, they begin to grow and then they they say, you know what, we've got to start to take care of each other. And they start to meet in houses for worship on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose again. So they start worshiping on Sunday and they start, it says, sharing their goods amongst themselves. And they start taking care of each other and watching over each other. And remember, they had 12 inner core disciples who were sort of the leaders and they're finding it hard to keep up with all the duties they have to take care of this church and to preach at that church and to preach at that house meeting and to make sure those widows are taken care of. And they're like, whew, we cannot keep up with all this. In fact, some people in the church started to argue, you're taking care of some widows better than other widows. Well, they said, you know what? We have got to get men or or what we would say the word would be a deacon or or elders. We've got to get some men to come take care of these matters so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching, is what the 12 disciples said. And they're like, all right, let's do that. And so in Acts chapter 6, they found men who were full of faith. And one of them was Stephen. Another man that they found was Philip. Another man that they found was Timon. Another man they found was Nicholas. Well, one of the men said, we need you to take care of the widows. We need you to preach at some of these house churches. One of them was Stephen. But it's said of Stephen. Stephen is the only one where it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. 
Wouldn't that be awesome to be said of you? You know, when they looked at you, they would say, hey, that kid, that man, that woman, they're not only full of the love of Jesus. They're, they're not only a Christian. They are full of the Holy Spirit. When they looked at Stephen, they were like, wow, that man is full of the Holy Spirit. We need him as a leader in our church. But how do you know if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you know? Can you levitate people? Can you heal people? Or is there some fantastic thing you have? You know, when you get saved... At that moment, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about you are baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation. So when you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. But the only way to measure, I would say, and when somebody looks at you and says, are they like a little full or are they like completely full? Stephen, when they looked at him, he didn't just have a leg full of the Holy Spirit. He had a whole body full of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. But the question is, is how much are you letting the Holy Spirit control you, control your life? When they looked at Stephen, they said, you know what, this man he lets the Holy Spirit completely control his life. How did they measure that? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, proof that the Holy Spirit is inside you and controlling you. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when they looked at Stephen, they saw abundant love, abundant joy, abundant peace. You know, when people see you at work or at school or wherever you're at, do they say, hey, that person, there's something different about them. Look at their life. They just seem so peaceful when I'm so anxious. They're so loving when I'm so mean. They're so full of optimism and joy. I want that. Are you just like the people around you? And yeah, you're saved, but you're not letting the Holy Spirit manifest much in your life. You're not working at those fruits, you know? Well, it says there in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, began to preach. And like I said, they brought down the Jewish authorities, these crack troops who were really intelligent and who knew their Bible in and out, and they would debate Stephen in the street. And Stephen, he'd win every single debate. They'd show up with their Torah. Stephen wouldn't even need a Bible, and they'd begin to debate. Well, look. You know, Exodus says this, Deuteronomy says this, the Levitical law says this, and Stephen put them to shame, and he began to just defeat them. And again, he performed great wonders and miraculous signs. And when these men argued with Stephen, and when they couldn't defeat him in intelligent argument, and Stephen knew more about the scriptures than they did, and when they saw all the wonders and signs and miracles he did, they were like, what are we going to do? We are losing. And so they began to spread lies. And they began to spread lies, particularly about Stephen. They began to say, hey, you know, we heard this man speaking blasphemies. 
he said some bad things against Moses and against God. And it says there in Acts chapter 6, they incited the people to riot and they grab Stephen. They, they haul him into court. And Saul, I can imagine, is behind most of this. And he's getting the, the, the people riled up and they want to kill Stephen. But it's all based on lies. It's not true. At the end of Acts chapter 6, it says that when the Sanhedrin, which literally means 70, when they saw him, it's like he had the face of an angel. Now, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, Hey, disciples, when you stand up for me, when you're brought before the synagogues, Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself or, or don't worry about what you're going to say for at that time the Holy Spirit will teach you what you have to say. And I think that's what those men saw when they saw the face of Stephen as an angel. They're seeing him full of the Holy Spirit and Jesus working in his life and manifesting himself through Stephen. And it says there in Acts chapter 7 that as they stare at Stephen, Stephen begins to preach, and he begins to defend himself. Again, he's surrounded on all sides by men who hate him and want to see him dead, and he is there by himself, and he begins to preach, and he begins to tell them, I'm not the one that is blaspheming God. You guys are the ones who are blaspheming God. I'm not the one who have said horrible things about the Lord. You guys are. And he takes them through the history of Israel. And he takes them through their very own scripture. And he points out how time and time again, the Jewish people have failed Yahweh, have followed other gods, have lived idolatrous. And then at the end of his sermon, he says this, you stubborn people with stubborn hearts and ears you are always resisting the holy spirit like your ancestors did he goes you stiff-necked stubborn people now is that a way to end a speech trying to persuade people not kill you no in fact, he, he gives them the opposite. He points out how they are absolutely failing God and calls them stiff-necked, stubborn people. And it says when the Sanhedrin heard that, they began to gnash their teeth at Stephen. And like little kids, it says they stopped their ears. They did not want to hear. And he says, you murdered the righteous one. You hung him on a cross. And they didn't want to hear, and they gnashed their teeth, and they stopped their ears, and they were so angry. And then it says that Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, says that Stephen looks up in the middle of the crowd. And he looks up into heaven, and he says, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand hand of the father and that was it that was it how dare you say that you can see jesus standing next to god and and they just rushed stephen and they dragged him out 
and they dragged him all the way out of the temple and all the way out of the city and all the way to the place where they were going to stone Stephen. They were going to stone him to death. But the thing is, they had no legal authority to do this. But they were so enraged, the mob was so angry, the Sanhedrin was so furious that they brought him out to stone him. And back then what they would do to stone is they would first of all throw you down into the stoning pit on the rocks below. It was about 10 feet of a fall. Think of it from a basketball hoop all the way down to the floor and they threw him down onto the rocks below. And if he died there, the stoning was over. Well, they threw Stephen down and he didn't die. And then the rule was, hey, if the person doesn't die having fallen 10 feet onto rocks, then you take a big rock and you throw it onto his heart. So I can imagine that somebody comes up with a big rock and they just throw it on his chest, trying to crush his heart. And if that doesn't work, the third thing is the people stand around the pit. And they begin to throw stones at the accused. And the people who accused him are the first to throw the stone. So they threw him down. That didn't kill him. They threw a big rock to try to crush his heart. That didn't kill him. And then they grab stones standing around the pit and they begin began to stone Stephen. I can imagine one hit him in the head and all oh, that would have hurt. Maybe one hit him in the shoulder, one hit him in the eye and he's starting to bleed. This is something horrible. It's a horrible way to die. But as he's being stoned, you know me, I would have said, man, I curse you all. I hope Jesus, you know, destroys all of you. I hope he destroys Jerusalem. I would have said some horrible things. But you know what Stephen said? As he's being stoned for something he didn't do? You know what Stephen said as he's being stoned for simply following Jesus? He says, Lord... Do not hold this sin against them. Lord, forgive them. Don't hold the sin against them. And he's probably remembering Jesus when he died said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And man, I just want to say, some of you need to forgive. You need to forgive people in your life. You need to choose to say, you treated me wrong. But if Jesus can forgive those people and say, hey, you're crucifying me, but forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And if Stephen can forgive people who are stoning him for something he doesn't deserve, I can forgive my mom, my dad, my coworker. Man, I can forgive the bad things people have done to me. Some of you need to let go of that bitterness and anger. You need to forgive. And then it says that they stoned him. And they stoned Stephen. And they stoned him until it says he fell asleep. They stoned him until he died. Yes, he died. But 
Luke, in writing the book of Acts, he doesn't use the word death. He says they stoned him. And when he had said, I forgive them, Lord, please forgive them. Don't hold the sin against them. Luke says he fell asleep. Now, why didn't he use the word die? Well, the reason he didn't use that word is because if you know Jesus as your Savior, Jesus says, if you're a follower of me, you will never die die. John 11 verse 26 says this, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If you know the Lord is your Savior, maybe you've had a loved one die, and if they were a Christian, they didn't die. It's as if the veil between life and death is just this thin sheet of paper, and when they passed away, hey, I'm in the presence of my Father. So when they say Stephen died, Luke's saying he didn't die because Jesus promises. If you know me, you'll never die. Instead, Stephen, he fell asleep. And one day, Jesus is going to come back. And those like Stephen who are asleep are going to rise again and be with Jesus forever. Well, Stephen is dead. And Stephen is considered the first Christian martyr. He's the first person martyred for the Christian faith. And martyr basically means somebody who dies for a cause. Somebody who dies for something bigger than themselves. And here, Stephen is the first person who said, I love Jesus so much, I don't care how they persecute me. I don't care what they do to me. I would rather die for my faith than deny my Savior. And Stephen is the first Christian martyr. And it says that when he fell asleep, that the crowd stopped. But you know what's interesting? As they were going out to stone Stephen, as they were going out to kill him, it says there in Acts chapter 7 that they threw their garments at the feet of a man. You know, I can imagine they're going out and they're like, hey, I don't want to get my coat dirty. So they take off their coat. Here, here, uh, here's Saul. You look after that. And then, hey, hey, I've got a handbag. I, I'm about to go kill somebody. That's a little. I don't want that to get there. Here, here, you, you hold that, you know. And so here, you hold this. You hold that. And as they're running out to kill Stephen, it says in Acts chapter 7, they lay their garments at the feet of Saul, which proves you don't lay your garments at the feet of anybody, no. You lay your garments, your clothes, your, your valuables, you leave them with the man in charge of this whole event. Of this whole thing. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It was Saul. Saul was in charge. And he wanted to see Stephen killed. In fact, he didn't just want to see, see Stephen killed. He wanted to see all the followers of the way wiped out. He wanted to see them all destroyed. And Saul's probably smiling to himself. Stephen is gone. Ha! Killed. I've got some other followers of the way I want to destroy. Will Saul be successful? Will he stop this Christian faith called the way? 
Will he see these believers killed? Well, if we come back next week, we'll find out what happens to Saul. But ultimately, this week, I just want to encourage you. We're going to look at the life of Saul. And we're going to look how God takes hold of his life and uses a man who wants to murder all his followers and dramatically changes his life. But ultimately, this week, I want us to look at Stephen. What a man full of the Holy Spirit can do in telling others about Jesus and forgiving others even when the urge would be to hate those. He said, I'm going to follow Jesus to the end. I don't care what man does to me. I am going to follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.